minutes flat. So I'm just going to close this in prayer. Uh, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. There we go. I'm on. Continuing working through the Sermon on the Mount. We only have one verse today, so no scripture reader. Um, we're just looking at one verse, but I, uh, I want you to have your Bible open, even though you could probably um, memorize this verse pretty quickly. But I want you to keep your Bible open the whole time so that you can see how this verse functions in the, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Um, and so this one verse that we're looking at today, uh, you might know as the golden rule. In fact, your Bible might even say as a heading, the golden rule. Um, even if you've never opened a Bible in your life, you've, you're probably familiar with the golden rule or something like it. The golden rule, Matthew 7, chapter, uh, verse 12, is... One of those verses that I could go into a Buddhist temple or a Hindu temple or an Islamic mosque or a public school and read this verse and talk about this verse and endorse this verse and I would be supported and applauded and invited back in each of those settings. Everybody loves the golden rule or everybody thinks they love the golden rule. It's not to say everybody lives the golden rule, but most religions, most people on this planet affirm the idea that we should treat other people with something like the kind of treatment that we would like to receive from others. Most people on this earth agree with that. But as popular as the golden rule might be, even in a culture like ours, when Jesus spoke these words... Recorded in Matthew 7, 12, when these words Jesus spoke are rightly understood, they're actually incredibly countercultural, and they're explicitly and profoundly Christian. So hear these familiar words of Jesus, Matthew 7, 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Father in heaven, bless these moments that we spend meditating on your word. Use them to conform us more into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our goal, of course, is to obey these words of Jesus in an ever-increasing way. As Jesus said many times, you're blessed if you do what he says, not simply if you hear what he says. But as always, the doing part is kind of in your court the minute you get up and walk out of this room, my court, the minute I walk down off this stage. But what we can do together for a few minutes is meditate on Jesus' words, think about their implications for our lives, repent as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, and resolve by grace to take these words more seriously than we ever have before. So let's lean into this together, brothers and sisters.
by way of reminder, this is the law of the kingdom of heaven. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is answered as we live these words out. Your decisions, your relationships, your seemingly insignificant moments of love and sacrifice are precisely what God is using to initiate, to infiltrate this world with his reign and his rule. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is answered as people like us get up and live these words out. How cool is that? We get to be a part of Jesus' prayer being answered. So let's feast on these words together for a few minutes and let them sink deeper into our hearts. I'm sure you're familiar with them. That doesn't mean they're done with you. Just like with your breakfast this morning or your lunch this afternoon, our job is really just to bring the food in front of our face and chew it, swallow it, and then the Holy Spirit takes it to do all the things it's supposed to do that to keep us healthy and strong. It's very similar with the Word of God here. Let's pay attention. Let's chew And then let's pay attention to where the Holy Spirit does what he does and where he takes it in you. So, one verse. I want to make four observations uh, as we pay attention to this verse together. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Four observations about this most golden of rules. Observation number one, it's comprehensive. The golden rule is comprehensive. It's not selective. Notice what Jesus says. So whatever you wish others would do to you. That's how the English Standard Version, the version of the Bible that I'm reading, translates the original Greek. So whatever you wish others would do to you. The New International Version, some of you might be reading that, translates it, so in everything do to others what you'd have them do to you. And then the old King James Version, I hope somebody here is still rocking the King James Version, It's a little clunkier, but probably gets closer to the original emphasis of the original words. And the uh, the King James Version says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you. Told you it was clunky. All things whatsoever. That's comprehensive. All things whatsoever that you wish others would do to you, do that to them. I hope you still have your Bibles open. I want to look at how this verse functions in the overall structure of Jesus' sermon. You're always going to find people who slice it up a bit differently, but a widely agreed upon outline for the Sermon on the Mount looks like this. I think there's a slide for it. Uh, And you can just kind of leaf back the last couple pages of your Bible. Um, The introduction of the Sermon on the Mount starts in verse 3 of chapter 5. And it goes through verse 16 of chapter 5. And that includes the Beatitudes, a brief, uh, brief introductory statements about how God's people are supposed to function in this world. That's the introduction chunk. And then the body of the sermon is what we have from 5.17 all the way to 7.12, which is our verse today, the golden rule. That's the body, and that contains all the ethical teachings about kingdom living in this world that we've been looking at together for weeks now. And then the conclusion of the sermon starts in verse 13 of chapter 7 and goes to the end in uh, verse 27. And that ends with some warnings. Jesus closed with some warnings that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. But notice how the golden rule functions 
in the overall structure of the Sermon on the Mount. And this might pop a little more if you notice that alongside the first, the first verse of the body chunk of the sermon, you'll read this. In, verse, uh, in chapter 5, verse 17, the beginning of the body, Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's the first line of the body chunk of the sermon. And then our line, the last line of the body chunk, Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. See how those are kind of bookends there for the body section of the sermon? It frames the body. So remember, by law and prophets, Jesus is talking about uh, the entirety of what we call the Old Testament. So the Holy Scriptures that had been written before Jesus was born, all Scripture that he had and that the Jewish people of his day had, And Jesus set out at the beginning of this sermon to explain that he hasn't come to do away with the law and the prophets, but rather to uphold it and to fulfill them and to promote a righteousness that is, uh, that far exceeds the righteousness of the religious leaders of his day. And then everything in between 517 and our verse, the golden rule in 712, Jesus lays out some specifics of what that might look like. Okay, so 5.17 to 7.12, he lays out, here are some, some specific scenarios, specific attitudes, specific occasions that you're going to want to live this out in real life. So I think we can rightly understand the golden rule as some kind of a summary statement of the things he's been saying about how we're supposed to treat other people. All the way from do not be angry and insult your brother, all the way to take the tree out of your eye so that you can take a splinter out of your brother's eye and all in between there. Since Jesus can't possibly go through every life scenario and explain how you're supposed to respond, he brilliantly finishes by shrinking it down to one sentence and saying, this covers it all. All things whatsoever that you want others to do to you, do that to them. In other words, You know that way that you like being treated real good? You know that way that you like being treated kindly and thoughtfully and patiently and gently? Yeah, other people like being treated like that too. Go and do that. Go and treat people that way. This is God's brilliant way of helping self-obsessed people understand how we're supposed to treat each other. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that nice of him? And it goes way back further than the Sermon on the Mount, all the way back to the book of Leviticus, when God was laying down the law for the Israelites, and he said in Leviticus 19.18, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So the invitation here from the mouth of Jesus is to think about all the many wonderful ways that you like to be treated, all the things you appreciate and sometimes insist on, and... Go and do that to other people. Consider every set of circumstances, every possible occasion. Dream up what would be not just tolerable, but delightful treatment from other people. What would make you feel most loved, most appreciated, most respected, most valued, and now you've got your game plan for how to treat the people around you. You've never complained I know this about you. You've never complained 
about being treated too patiently, too graciously, too generously, about being too well-treated. You've never complained about being too delighted in, too thoughtfully cared for. So Jesus says, so go give them the royal treatment that your highness so deserves. I spent some time this week thinking about my royal highness, as this verse invites us to do. And I made myself put down on paper some ways that I wish other people would treat me. You ever done that before? I won't make you read your list in front of the whole church, but I'm going to read mine because I'm tired of you guys not treating me the way I want to be treated. (laughs) So if you wouldn't mind, if you're not taking notes, this is a good time to start. Just kidding. I feel very loved by you in this church. But I think writing down a list has actually helped me take the golden rule more seriously. It's genuinely, it has, after I wrote my list out this week, it genuinely stopped me in my tracks several times this week when I've had opportunity to do something for someone and I remembered, that's on my list. You might want to try it. So naturally, a list like this could be quite long, uh, but I narrowed it down to something like my top 10. So here's my top 10 list of how I want to be treated. I like when people, one, encourage me. I like when people take interest in me, like actually take time to get to know me, think about me. I like when people help me, when they anticipate my needs, when they understand my weaknesses. I like when people are patient with me, kind, gentle, understanding. Number five, I like when people are truthful with me. Six, I like when people forgive me, which sometimes includes lovingly correcting me, which sometimes includes mercifully overlooking small things. I like when people are seven, gracious towards me or assume the best instead of the worst. I like when people appreciate me. I like when people stick by me or are loyal, faithful friends. And ten, I like when people pray for me. Now, you're welcome to have your own list. That's mine. I'm guessing you also like a lot of the things on my list, so you can cheat off me if you want to. But this has given me a really concrete place to start when it comes to taking Jesus' words seriously. Treating other people the way I want to be treated. And according to Jesus, I shouldn't just pick one or two of the most convenient things off my list to do to others. All of it. All things whatsoever, he says. It's not selective. It's comprehensive. It's the royal treatment. That's the first observation. Let's move on. Second observation, golden rule observation number two. It's proactive. It's not passive. It's proactive. All things whatsoever that you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Now, I mentioned that most religions in the world nod their heads to the golden rule, which I'm definitely not mad about. But it's worth noting the difference in what Jesus is calling his followers to versus what most other people are satisfied with. Here are a few examples. I think there's a slide. Buddhism teaches this. Hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Confucianism is similar. 
says, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Hinduism teaches, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. And humanism says, do, don't do things you wouldn't want to, ha- to have done to you. So all of these stated in the negative, your duty is simply not to do bad stuff to people. And then Islam teaches, none of you truly believes until he wishes for his brother what he wishes for himself. Now again, I'm all for those things. I'm all for them. Don't do bad, hurtful things to people. Wish good for other people. I'm for that. I think Jesus agreed with that. But Jesus calls his disciples to more than that. Not merely a don't do bad, but a very positive and proactive do good. Not merely a passive wish good things for other people, but a very active do good things for other people. Not I hope things go well for you, but I'm going to contribute to things going well for you. We have an initiative-taking God. Not a God who sits back and says, good luck. But a God who's, not a God who sits back and says, I hope all goes well for you. Not a God who says, I won't be mean to you if you're not mean to me. No, we have a God who says to his people, I will make with you an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to you. Jeremiah 32, 40. We have a God who, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2. We have a God who shows his love for us in that when, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. We have an initiative-taking, proactive God who does active good to his people. Not because they deserve it, not because they did good to him first, but because that's the kind of God he is. And as his children, we get to follow him and reflect him and be an initiative-taking people. Not waiting around for someone to tell us what they want or what they need. Not waiting around for someone to do something kind or helpful for us first but starting with what we know about ourselves in our intense commitment to self-love, self-care, self-preservation, and then turning that around to take that same initiative for the good of other people. Jesus is calling us to a proactive lifestyle of doing good to the people around us. That's the second observation. Let's keep moving. Golden rule, observation number three. It's grounded in your relationship with God. This is not karma. This is not what goes around comes around. Our reason for doing to others what we wish they would do to us is not so that they'll do it to us, right? We don't do good to others to manipulate them to do then good to us. We're not manipulating people into being nice to us. We're not trying to make sure the stars align so that our lives go well. We're not even just doing it because it's the right human thing to do. 
our reason for taking Jesus' words seriously and seeking to live them out every day is rooted and grounded in our pre-existing relationship with God. Look back at Jesus' words again, verse 12. So, which is the same word that could just as easily be translated, therefore. So, therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's a commandment that's grounded in a therefore. That means it flows out of something. So what does it flow out of? Well, we should start by looking at what comes immediately before, so therefore, right? Which if you were here last week, you remember hearing about the heart of our Heavenly Father who delights to do good to his children. We were encouraged by Jesus to ask, seek, and knock when we're in need because our God is for us and he's committed to giving us the good that we need as his children. Does that confidence give us enough, therefore, to do good to other people? Certainly should. Because you have a father in heaven who is committed to your good You are free as free can be to busy yourself doing as much good to other people as you possibly can. Because you have a Father in heaven who is fiercely committed to your good, you are free to do as much good as you possibly can to the people around you. The royal treatment. You can obey the golden rule because of the stability and provision of your relationship with God. Do you know that? You have no need to manipulate, and you have nothing to fear. You will lack nothing that you need, because your Father is God for a living. All-powerful, all-loving, all-owning, all-knowing, all-wise, all-generous, all-good, all the time. That's your daddy. Go spoil other people. You're going to be just fine. If our only hope in doing good to others was that it would, fingers crossed, come back around to us, i.e. karma, I don't think I'd have the guts to follow through with it. It doesn't surprise me that the world loves the idea of the golden rule, but doesn't live the golden rule. That doesn't surprise me. They have no confidence. Their confidence is this, it's grounded in a a flimsy, whimsical fancy. It's grounded in the hope that other messed up people, selfish messed up people like me, are going to Return the favor. That's the confidence. Or that the universe is going to bring it back around to me or whatever. I don't blame people whose father is not God for not living this way. Do you? I don't blame people if their father's not God for not living the golden rule. I don't blame people who don't have our promises, our assurances, our relationship with the God of the universe, I don't blame them for settling for a selective, passive, golden rule. Silver, maybe. I don't blame them. 
But I do question us. Those with the promises, those with the relationship, I do question us if we don't live out this law of the kingdom with all our might. What more could he say than to us he has said? What further confidence could we possibly need that we're really going to be okay if we go all out for the good of others? We're going to be okay. We're made for this. If God is your Father because Jesus is your Lord, you are perfectly equipped and positioned to give the people around you the royal treatment. If God is your Father because Jesus is your Lord, you are perfectly positioned and equipped to give the people around you the royal treatment. The people who are in your life are there on purpose. The needs of the people in your life are there on purpose. The weaknesses of the people in your life are there on purpose. And you can either ignore it, complain about it, sell your house and move far away from it, or you can turn your ear to Jesus, receive his perfect game plan for your life, lean into the stability of your relationship with God Almighty, and get busy doing for others all things whatsoever that you wish they would do to you. No one is better positioned than you to do good to the particular collection of people in your life. Your Father in heaven has made it so. To take it a step further, the further reason Jesus gives us for obeying the golden rule is found in the last few words, for this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus is basing the logic or the rationale behind treating others how you want to be treated in the entire Old Testament. God's revealed word to his covenant people. He says, everything that the Father has spoken to you all along is summed up right here in this sentence. As Paul would write later in Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is no new command I give you, Jesus says. It's what the Father has said to you all along. Treat others the way you like being treated. And then you've done all of this. This is what it means to be the people of God. Always has, always will. Anyone in the world can take the golden rule to heart, and I hope they do. But for Christians, this is in our spiritual DNA. This is who we've been designed to be from the beginning. All right, that's three observations. Thinking of skipping the fourth because Chip pressured me to, but we'll do the fourth one. Golden rule observation uh, number four. First one, observation number one, it's comprehensive. Number two, it's proactive. Observation number three, it's grounded in your relationship with God. Observation number four, it's what Jesus did for you. Golden rule is what Jesus did for you. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. Fulfill means not only completion, but also embodiment. 
Jesus didn't just come to endorse God's commandment. He came to perfectly live out God's commandment. Jesus has without a doubt treated you the way you want to be treated. Jesus has without a doubt treated every one of us the way we want to be treated. He didn't just selectively choose one or two ways to do a little bit of good to you. He comprehensively did all that was necessary to solve your greatest problem and to secure your eternal joy. Jesus didn't just passively sit back and wish good things for your life or restrain himself from being mean to you. He proactively came to seek and to save you when you were lost. He took the initiative to reconcile you to God by giving his life for you while you were still his enemy. Jesus didn't just move toward you dutifully or motivated by self-interest, hoping that what goes around comes around. He loved you and gave himself for you from the outflow of his unshakable relationship with his Father, in perfect harmony with the will of his Father, in order to introduce you to his Father, in order to welcome you into his family, and in order to give you a share in his own inheritance for all time. He's not motivated by self-interest. Who has treated you better than Jesus has treated you? Who has earned the right to speak into your life and command you to do the same to others? Greater love has no one than this, Jesus once said, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, he said, if you do what I command you. There's no more fitting place to end our meditation on the golden rule than at the foot of the cross. If you're serving the Lord's Supper, would you start to make your way towards the front? Jesus gave us this sacrament, the Lord's Supper, as a regular and ongoing way for us to take our place at his table as his friends who've been saved by his blood in order to remember and to reflect and to rejoice, and then to get up and go and participate in the mission that he's given us. 